This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And as we start out our look at the invasion of Ukraine, we are joined by Ambassador William Taylor, who was U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine under Presidents Bush and Obama, as well as Acting Ambassador under President Trump, currently Vice President with the U.S. Institute of Peace. Ambassador Taylor, great to have you with us today. And thank you for having me. So let's start out with your reaction to everything we've seen over about the last 12 hours or or so. Uh, I think there are a lot of people that are still to a degree surprised that that Vladimir Putin went to this length. We should all be surprised. Uh, He has done what uh, uh, he's only kind of done in the first uh, in the first instance when he invaded. Of course, we know that Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine in 2014. Um, And then a couple of days ago, he sent some more some more tanks uh, and weapons uh, and forces into you into Ukraine, a sovereign country on his border. Uh, and then we know that uh, early this morning, totally unprovoked, he has this massive invasion, massive attack um, on Ukraine, um, killing civilians and military. Uh, again, totally unjustified. President Putin was looking for a rationale, couldn't find one. Uh, he went anyway. So this is a disaster. For the international community, it's a disaster for European security. It's going to be a disaster, Dan, for Russia. You know, the interesting thing, Ambassador, is the fact that I I guess in his statement that he made earlier this morning before uh, the uh, invasion, uh, this latest invasion actually took place, the the thought process of Ukraine as a threat to Russia was brought up. And and I sat back and I heard that and look, not that we're going to put a lot of weight in anything he says anyway, but it, it just made me sit back and, and and wonder what in the world could a threat be from Ukraine to Russia? And I couldn't come up with anything. There is not. You're exactly right. There is no threat from Ukraine to Russia. Um, Ukraine would like nothing more than to live peacefully beside uh, its big aggressive neighbor. Um, Ukraine would like nothing more than to be able to live its own life, uh, have a normal existence as, as part of Europe, um, to make its own decisions. Um, uh, there is no threat. Um, as I mentioned, Putin was looking to have some kind of a rationale uh, for this invasion that he has been planning, clearly been planning. Um, and he couldn't come up with one, so he, he makes one up that the Ukrainians uh, are a threat. This is absurd. So having spent the years there that you did, talk about, uh, you know, your experience in that relationship between Ukraine and Russia. So it is interesting. You mentioned uh, that I have been, I served there twice. Um, I served uh, in Ukraine in 2006, 2009, and then went back um, in uh, uh, 2019. Um, I visited many times in the interim, but those were the two times that I was serving at the embassy. Uh, and the difference was dramatic. Uh, and the, in, in 2006, 2009, uh, real politics, Ukraine is, is really a, a democracy that makes its decisions in a, a raucous way. Um, but there were, there were debates uh, in, in that time between those people who who wanted to kind of follow the Russian model, and they lived mainly in the eastern, southern part of the country, um, and then those uh, in the western, central part of the country who wanted to follow the European model. And they were real debates. There were debates about NATO, debates about language, there were debates about culture and history and heroes. Um, 
and and uh, uh, I went down on several occasions to Odessa, um, where a U.S. ship would come in, and it would be controversial. Mm. Um, most people would support it, many would protest, uh, but it was it was a, a, a raucous, as I say, a raucous uh, debate. Um, that changed uh, in 2014. Uh, 2014, uh, the Russians invaded first Crimea. Uh, and then into Donbass, uh, and that consolidated the opinion of Ukrainians against against Russia, against Mr. Putin. Right. Um, and and from then, from 2014 till now, um, the support for joining NATO, which when I was there the first time in 2006, 2009, was probably in the low 20s, probably even sometimes below 20. Right. Um, and varied across the across the country. Um, now. It's above 60 percent of across the country, east and west. Russian speakers, Ukrainian speakers uh, now are convinced that NATO is the only way to protect themselves, is to assure their security. So President Putin has uh, and and has further consolidated over the last 24 hours, um, 24 hours and killing Ukrainians, yeah. killing uh, uh, Ukrainian military and civilian, unprovoked attack. He has now created – Putin has now created uh, on his border a hostile nation, an irrevocably hostile nation for generations. This is a disaster not just for Ukraine. It's a disaster for us. And, and I wonder also, is this also an element of Vladimir Putin also trying to kind of rebuild the Iron Curtain as well? That's going to be the effect. That's going to be the effect. He has been – trying to put up walls uh, in particular over the past, what, the past seven or eight years. Uh, he has given up on trying to be a, a responsible member of the European community or the world community. And he is now uh, uh, making it clear uh, that he abides by no rules. Um, he doesn't want to be a responsible participant. Um, he doesn't want to be a, a, a nation. He doesn't want to lead a nation uh, that is part of the world community. Um, he now is building walls, as you say, um, uh, trying to extend that wall to Ukraine. The Ukrainians won't have it. The Ukrainians will resist being behind that wall with the Russians. Uh, the Ukrainians want to be on the outside of that wall uh, mm -hmm. with Europe, and they will fight, and they will fight fiercely, Dan, so if, um, to make that happen. If you can, Ambassador, if you can put a little perspective on on, on this period of time, but also from your role as an ambassador, when there are times of strife, the role that a U.S. ambassador can play, and obviously I would imagine in many cases it's a very fine line that uh, that uh, that person has to uh, has to uh, take part in, uh, wherever it be around the world. Well, U.S. officials, ambassadors, and others who work in embassies abroad um, yes, we, we represent uh, the United States, and we represent the values and the principles and the policies that the United States um, has chosen and has developed over time. Um, and uh, it's because of the U.S. values, American values, American strength, American leadership, that, that U.S. ambassadors and other officials uh, in, the, in these countries um, exercise and important roles. Um, we can demonstrate support. Uh, we can demonstrate to Ukrainian people and Ukrainian government um, that the United States does support them, mm -hmm. 
supports our principles, uh, uh, supports our security. That's what we're there for. The expectation is we're going to hear from President Biden later today, and, and I, I guess more sanctions will be coming uh, uh, he, uh, the way of uh, Vladimir Putin and Russia. The other part to this story is just kind of the uh, the partnership that the U.S. has with various allies and the role that they're going to play in this process as well. Touch on on that uh, on how that might play out here over the next few days. So just like President Putin has unified Ukraine against him and against Russia, President Putin has also unified the NATO alliance. Uh, NATO, so I served in, in NATO in the, in the late 80s um, uh, during the end, of the end of the Cold War. And NATO is also a uh, – it can be a fractious organization. It requires unanimity, and so that means that there's a lot of debate. Um, around the North Atlantic Council um, and in those buildings uh, in in Brussels. Um, But over the past three months, and I'm sure focused even more so today, there has been NATO unity. The European members of of NATO, the Canadians, the Americans, um, have been working so closely together and have been such – represented such resolve and not just – rhetoric, not just statements. Um, The NATO allies have joined us in taking active measures of moving troops, equipment, weapons, both to defend ourselves, both to defend NATO, Mm -hmm. but also moving weapons and ammunition and training and equipment to Ukrainians, to the Ukrainian militaries trying to defend themselves and Europe. Ukraine is really on the front line defending against this Russian attack. Um, so so unity at, uh, in the NATO alliance has been strong and I'm sure will continue. So uh, the, the other thing I think some people have, have wondered about is what I guess is perceived as maybe some countries in, in the decision process maybe being a little bit slower to, to kind of make that call. And part of it because of the energy impact, uh, things like gas and oil, et cetera, coming from Russia and going to Germany and obviously spreading out across uh, Europe. Uh, talk a little bit about the the response to this point by some of our NATO allies in Europe and and what can be done. What more can be done at this point? So Germany is a good example that you mentioned, Dan. Um, Germany, uh, like much of Europe, um, is very dependent on Russian gas, and the Germans have seen over the past month or two, and certainly have seen over the past week or two, the, the vulnerability, the danger, the problem associated with being so vulnerable, so dependent on Russian gas. And that's going to change. It has already begun to change. The Germans, after being hesitant, um, have now canceled the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, this big pipeline that uh, comes from Russia into Germany uh, with natural gas. Uh, it is not in operation. Uh, the Germans hesitated um, and now have taken the decisive step, which President Biden <clears throat> has endorsed and reinforced. <clears throat> President Biden has put on sanctions on Nord Stream 2. It will not go into effect. That's part of a, a, more, a, a more general European recognition of the problem of buying so much gas and oil from Russia. And that will that has already begun to change. Mm-hmm. Um, there are efforts right now, as you know, to identify additional natural gas 
supplies to go into Europe uh, to take the place of uh, of, of uh, any disruption that the Russians might cause right. or this war might cause. So that this has begun a, a big change in European energy policy. And, and I'm wondering, it really does underlie how important the energy piece is to this overall dispute and the potential impact if certain sanctions are put in, in place around Russian oil moving forward, the impact it might have on the Russian economy and whether or not that might have some impact on, on what Vladimir Putin and the Russian government do moving forward. We hope it does. Uh, we hope it has an effect on uh, President Putin's decisions. He alone can decide. He alone has decided to do to, to undertake to unleash uh, this invasion, this military attack on Ukraine. And he can decide otherwise. He can decide to pull back. <clears throat> if the costs to him are so great, and you, as you said, President Biden will speak to that again today in terms of the new sanctions that they will talk about, that we can hope will have some effect on President Putin. But in the interim, the U.S. also has to be thinking about supporting uh, Ukraine as much as it can uh, from a humanitarian side as well. It absolutely does. Uh, there will be many Ukrainians uh, who will be moving. <clears throat> We've seen that already. We've seen them on the roads. We've seen them heading into their cars, moving to the west. Um, uh, the NATO allies on the Ukrainian border um, the Poles, the Romanians, um, should be welcoming these Ukrainians in. It's going to be a challenge. Um, we should be providing assistance as well, both financial uh, and other humanitarian assistance. Ambassador Taylor, great to have you with us. Thanks very much for your time today. Thank you, Dan. It's good to be here. Ambassador William Taylor, who was, uh, as we, he mentioned, U.S. ambassador to Ukraine under Presidents Bush and Obama and acting ambassador under President Trump. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.